Man, he is like, I'm like his Asian brother. I love it. Uh, my wife, Kate, and I are so excited to be here with you. Uh, my beautiful Asian children are in the back right over there. So I'm really excited to be here. Uh, let me tell you what, I am your guys' biggest fan. I stalk you guys on Instagram, no big deal. For those of you guys who did like the thrift store prom, completely genius, all right? I love it. I want to go to, to winter camp with you guys. But the thing that I love the most about, about you guys is like, we used to go up with you guys to camp, to Hume Lake, right? And so we used to go up there, and I love hanging out with you because it's always like a family reunion, okay? And I just want to apologize beforehand because we're the church from Los Gatos, okay? And uh, our church from Los Gatos is a little bit crazy. Now, nobody believes like that we are crazy, but let me tell you like how insane sometimes our church is, okay? Like automatically, the second I get off the bus, I automatically expect that somebody has already punched a hole through a door, okay? Um, every single screen that is on Buck Rock, which they put us there just for containment, okay? Every screen is gone, okay? And, and let me tell you, like, also, uh, this one year I was in this cabin, and my cabin decided, hey, you know what would be really fun? If we go make some weapons, okay? So they took, they went out into the woods, and, and they took these, these, like, rocks and stuff, and they made these, like, these, like, prison shanks and I was like and all these things I was like what are you guys gonna do with that shank somebody in the liver you know and they're like no I mean it's there for fun this like they had this mallet thing okay like that's not even that, that crazy okay they had this one year how many guys have ever played Kajabi Can Can okay um, how many has ever won Kajabi Can Can okay so there you guys you guys know Kajabi is really serious okay Kajabi is really serious but this is how serious this one kid took it I thought he was absolutely an insane person is he was like, hey, dude, are you allergic to bees? Yes, you're allergic. Do you have an EpiPen? Oh, that's great. Oh, it's expired? You know what? We're about to play Kajabi. I'm going to take this EpiPen, and I'm going to stab myself in the leg, okay? Double EpiPen in the leg. And by the time I, like, I saw him, somebody told me, oh, dude, this kid just stabbed himself with an EpiPen to play Kajabi. I was like, wait, what? And I went over there. He's like, shaking, you know? And I was like, we are immediately going to the hospital because you are going to die, okay? All right, but that's not even like the crazy part, okay? That same week, some kid tried to do a backflip, didn't quite make it, landed right on his face, okay? Right on his face. We have to drive all the way down to Fresno, take him to the hospital. I come back home, it's four in the morning. I come back and one of our kids lights a firework, goes, shoots over the lake, into the bushes, lights a fire, okay? For five months. The Department of Forestry is calling me, okay? Questioning me on what happened. I'm like, I don't know. Like the kids were praying. I come out, there's a fire, okay? There's an absolute fire. And, um, and then we had this one kid who like almost punched this other youth pastor in the face. It wasn't Eric, you know, Eric. Eric has a fine face. You don't want to like mess the money maker up, right? And, and, um, and, and that, like, I wish I could say that was like the end of it, right? Because there is one thing that absolutely annoys me the most about our church, and that is the poo, okay? always the poop. I don't know what it is about this human feces, but always, every single year, there is something that has to do with this, okay? Like art, place, things like, right? I've, I'm always cleaning something up at our church, okay? That tells you a lot about Los Gatos. And when I think about this church and you think about how crazy my church is and all of that and how insane and stressful my life can be when it comes to like working with high school kids, when I think about what I do with high school students, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way because I believe that every student needs to hear about Jesus and I believe that for each and every single student that Jesus transformed lives. 
And the reason why I have great empathy and compassion for the students that come up is because a lot of them come up with a lot of hurt. A lot of our students come up with addictions and they're suicidal and they've lost people. And I have a lot of empathy for them because I was that kid. I was that kid in high school who didn't want anything to do with God. I would used to make fun of Christians. Like if you had a cross around your neck, I made fun of you and cursed you out so bad that like people would cry. I remember, I'm not proud of this, but this one time this kid was holding a Bible at school and I slapped it out of their hand. I slapped it out of their hand. I was like, your faith in God is so stupid and there's no reason why you should believe in him. And the reason why I did that is because my entire life, um, my entire life, I was completely angry at God. I didn't want anything to do with God and I resonate with them because I experienced so much death in my life. The very first time I, 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 I witnessed the death was, was with my grandma, I was six. And then a year later, um, I watched my aunt die of stomach cancer. My, my grandma died of stomach cancer. My, um, my aunt died of stomach cancer. And then when I was eight, I watched my dad die of stomach cancer. And then when I was 12, I watched my sister, my older sister, die of stomach cancer. And I remember at 12 years old, the day that my sister died was the day that I wrote off God completely. And I said, God, you're either not, you're not real, or if you are real, you don't give a rip about any of us. And that was where my heart was. You see, before this, uh, Kate will tell you that the weirdest thing about me is that ever since we started dating in high school, that I always talked about my death. I never thought that I would live to see 23, ever. And so before I became a follower of Jesus as a junior in high school, whenever I thought about my own death, I had this feeling of dread. I believed that my family was cursed, and I wonder, man, am I next? Am I next? Are, are my brothers next? Like, I, I don't know what's going on, but everyone that I love, everyone that I care about has died. My family is cursed. God hates me, and I hate God. And after I became a follower of Jesus, because I believed in what Jesus did for me, instead of filling my life with dread, whenever I thought about my eternity being locked with him, I now was no longer afraid of this idea of dying. Because I knew that my eternity and my salvation, what God did for me, that I made me not afraid of dying at all. I'm, a, I'm not going to lie, okay? Like, I'm afraid of, like, the pain of dying, okay? Something in my mind tells me that dying is going to hurt, right? But here's the thing. I'm not afraid about the finality of death. I'm not, af I'm not afraid of the fact that when I die, that's the end. Because my eternity and my life is now locked in Jesus. And so the question changed for me. When I became a Christian, the question changed for me. It's not about when will I die. My entire life, that's what I thought about. When will I die? How will I die? When I became a Christian then, instead of filling myself with dread, God changed that question. Now it's around the time that God gives me. What am I going to do with my life? It really doesn't matter how I die. I could go out. I mean, we just drove from the Bay Area, right, from San Francisco. I could have gotten in a car wreck, right? <laughs> I know it's morbid, but that's just how I think. Like I said, I've been thinking about my death for a long time, okay? I just hope not to go like that or choking on a piece of steak, something like that, okay? I think about this all the time, but one of the things I would say is, that is if, if this is what this is, what am I gonna do with my life? Because the reality is everyone that is living, everyone that's breathing right here in this room, unless Christ comes back, we're all gonna die. Surprise, <laughs> right? So really the question is, what are you living for? What are you living for? You see, the thing that I love about the Gospels and what I love about Jesus is this, is when we look in the Gospels, Jesus spends all his time talking to his disciples. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Why does he tell them that? 
He tells them that because he's one foreshadowing, telling them this is what needs to happen. But the other thing I think that he's telling them is what are we going to live for? I've only got a certain amount of time on this earth. What am I going to do? You see, for Jesus, he says, no greater love does anyone have than this to lay one's life down for their friends. You see, for Jesus, he only had a certain amount of time to live. What was he going to do with it? He was going to do it, live his life serving his friends. You see, the thing that I love about this idea that because Jesus put his entire faith in God, that it actually put perspective on everything that he faced in his life. You see, what I love about Jesus, when he, when he knows that, that he's going to die, he doesn't have to be afraid of what's going to happen because he trusts God, means that he didn't have to fear the crowds. That means that Jesus didn't have to fear gossip. He didn't have to fear being unfriended. He didn't have to fear about who liked him or who didn't like him or what college he was getting into or what major he picked. He didn't fear failure and he didn't even fear death because he trusted fully in God. And rather than letting his circumstances completely rule and take over his faith, he allowed his faith in God to take over his circumstances. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you weren't afraid? Uh, my friend of mine works at Facebook. And everywhere around Facebook, if you go and visit, it's like Disneyland for social media nerds, right? They have all these signs all over. What would you do if you weren't afraid? And you know what I thought? If Facebook, people who have no context, they, don't, they really just care about your money. And the ads, if they have these signs, say, what would you do if you weren't, weren't afraid? How much more are the people who believe in God, people of the kingdom, how much more should we believe in that? How much more should that be plastered all over our walls, everything that we do? What would you do if you weren't afraid? You see, what I love is that Jesus, what he decides to do with his life, as he's wrapping up his life, is he decides to serve. In John chapter 13, in fact, this is probably the question that you're going to ask is, what are you living for? We're all going to die. What are you living for? For Jesus, this is what changes. So as we dive into John chapter 13, and we're going to have to go pretty quick because we're rolling here. John chapter 13, what I love about the book of John is that most of it takes place in the last week of Jesus' life, which means this. It means that we need to pay attention. Now imagine this. Imagine that you, had the, uh, that you were fortunate enough to know when you were going to die, right? And let's say like, hey, you're going to die in like, you know, three months or whatever. You knew exactly what was going to happen. You would be as intentional with your life as you could be, right? What would you say to the friends that you love? What would you say to your family? Who would you care about, right? It would put things, everything into perspective. And so what happens in the book of John, because it takes place mostly in the last part of Jesus' life, it means that we need to pay attention. And it means that we have to watch what he does. And what I love about what Jesus does, he does something different from what all of us would do. You see, if I knew that I were dying, I would make my life all about me, right? I'm going to go to Disneyland one more time, ride the cars ride one last time. I'm going to go to Donut Man in Glendora, and I'm going to eat like five tiger tails, okay? All at once. <laughs> right? It's delicious. I'm going to go to Alberta's. I'm going to get some tacos, you know? Like, that is what I'm going to do with my life. But Jesus does something completely different. You see, knowing that Jesus is going to die in just a matter of hours, you know what Jesus decides to do? He decides to bend down and wash his disciples' sweaty, dirty, first century Palestine walking feet. What? Like, that's the last thing I would do is wash somebody's feet. But for Jesus, this is the thing that's the most important. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that your life 
lived in service to another person, laying down your life is worth giving everything. And here in this passage, Jesus is going to show us what true service is all about. And the first thing that he shows us is that service is a choice and it's an attitude. You have to choose to serve. And you also have, the, you have to have the attitude to serve, right? How many of you guys like take out, have like chores where you have to take out the trash or something, right? Like it's one thing when you take out the trash and like out of an act of love and another time when you have to take out the trash and you're like stupid trash, like kicking things on the way out, right? I hate doing this, right? It's an attitude, it's a choice. And this is the thing that's crazy about Jesus. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, everything, he had a choice in this moment. Jesus decides to serve. He decides to serve. And so what Jesus does, he wraps his towel around his waist and he bends down. And when he wraps his towel around his waist, that is something that only slaves do. In fact, this idea of, of washing feet was so low in the eyes of Jewish people that a Jewish slave couldn't even wash a person's feet. That they actually reserved it for Gentile slaves because it was so low of a task. You see, for Jesus to truly, to truly serve is to lay down your life. That's what it really means. It means to lay down your life. And what I love is I love Peter's response because he, he stops Jesus saying, don't do this indignant act. He fa in fact, he calls him Lord. And if you think about this, how crazy this is, in all of Jesus' life, what is he called? He's called teacher. He's called rabbi. He's called master. He's called Lord, right? But now what is he doing? He's taking on the form of a slave. And what I love is the original writer of this gospel wanted to capture how astounding this was. That literally, if you look at the original language, that he's literally saying, Lord, you, my, it's like this stuttering. What? Well, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this, Lord. I don't know if you've ever wondered why Jesus washes feet. Why does Jesus wash feet? I think that he washes Jesus' feet because, Jesus washes the disciples' feet because it takes humility. There's a kid in our youth group named Chris. One of the things that we do as part of our group is we go to San Francisco and we serve among the homeless. And one of the things we'll do among the homeless is um, we will wash their feet and we'll massage their feet and we'll give them socks and we'll give them a new pair of shoes. My wife is an ER nurse and she says that one of the best things that you can do for a person's health is to take care of their feet. You know what I love about this picture? I love that you can't tell who is being changed in this picture. Is it Chris? Is it the homeless man? It's both. It's both. You know what I love when I go and do this? That as you're massaging and cleaning this homeless person's feet, they'll fall asleep. And when they fall asleep, that means that they trust you. Because when they're on the streets, they don't know what's going to happen. And so when you're in their presence and you're massaging their feet, they feel safe with you. This is why Jesus does this. It takes humility. You see, true service is an overflow of God's grace. One of the things that, that we get a chance to do in our youth group is I've gotten a chance to travel all over the world to serve. And one of my favorite places to serve is in Guatemala. And in Guatemala, we, we build churches and we've been to the same group of people all like every single year for the past seven years. I've gotten a chance to know some incredible people. Um, this is my friend, Pastor Kevin, his wife, Priscilla. Um, when we first came to this church, he was a pastor of this church. You know how old he was? 16 when I met him. And he was a pastor of a 120 person church. His daughter and my daughter are the exact same age. And I was so honored to be able to, to be with him and, and hold his daughter and to be a part of their family because this is what service does. It's an overflow of God's grace. You see, the other part that I love about when we go to Guatemala is this, is uh, they'll invite us to their home and these families will actually go into debt to feed you. 
These families, this will be the best thing that they ever eat in their entire year is when you come into their house and you serve them. And the reason why they do this is because it's important for the Guatemalans to feel like they can give back. And they give you a, a gift called a recuerdo. And it, it gets translated, you know, memories, you know, and so they, they include you as part of their stories. But this is so important to them because they want you to know that you're a part of them, that they have something to offer. And I'll never forget what this one girl said. This one girl uh, in our group, uh, they, they, gave, they gave this gift, they, they made this amazing meal, and she said, no, 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 I can't take it, you take it. I remember watching this family get absolutely crushed. You see, the reason why Jesus washes their feet and why, he, why it's important for Jesus to tell Peter, I need to do this, is because service changes him. It changes us. And so Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. You have no part in me. Because in order for us to accept what Jesus is going to do on the cross, it means that we're going to have to lower our pride. To use humility to accept the gift that Jesus is going to give us. The thing that Jesus also teaches us is that serving changes us and it changes others. It changes us and it changes others. He says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. One of the things that's crazy about Chris, um, I didn't tell you this, but uh, Chris went to Guatemala with us um, for the first time after his mom died of cancer. And the reason why he went with us as a freshman to go to Guatemala is just because he wanted to get out of the house. But when he went to Guatemala, something changed in him. And he decided that he wanted to get plugged into our youth group. And when he got plugged into our youth group, he decided he wanted to go to San Francisco and massage some homeless man's feet. His senior year, this is what happened. We got to baptize him in Guatemala. And this is the place where he credits where everything has changed. You see, what I love is that you don't even need to be a Christian to serve. But there's something about the gospel that starts to permeate your heart when you do. The other thing I love about this, this scene right here is that this is crocodile-infested water. <laughs> I was so scared, but not really, okay? Because I knew we were doing God. And my favorite part is there's 30 people on our team, and the only way we can see in this little lake was that everyone's cell phone was up, right? And this is crazy. We're on this little island. People started seeing what we were doing, and everyone came together, and they started pulling out their cell phones. And they turned on the light. They turned on the light. You see, there's something about serving. There's something about seeing what God does in your life that changes the people around us. And one of the things that I, the last thing I want to do and, and talk around when it talks around Jesus is that service is worth giving your life to. For Jesus, according to Jesus, to give your life serving another human being, to lay down your life for another person is worth you giving your life to. And I'll tell you that this was absolutely true in my own life. You see, I was laying there pretending to be asleep when a team of young doctors at Stanford University came to go tell my neighbor that he had an inoperable mass in his abdomen. And I was laying there listening to what this doctor was telling my neighbor while I was laying in my bed. I couldn't help but to think, what if this was what they were going to tell me in a few hours? You see, up to this point, this was this crazy time that I had in my life. Because the reason why I was laying in that hospital was because nine months earlier, I got this phone call from a doctor right after I got back from Guatemala, right after I, I, right after I had um, baptized Chris. I came, back from camp, I came back from Guatemala and I had so much stomach pain that I couldn't stand. 
And I remember laying in, the, we had to go to camp like, like a, a couple days later. And I remember going up to camp and I remember I couldn't even walk because I was in so much pain. And when I went to the doctor, they said, you know what, that's going on. You actually have this really rare form of cancer. It affects one in 500 people. You are actually the 350th confirmed case in the world. You are the 23rd patient we've ever seen at Stanford. And they said you have this thing called hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. And this cancer is rare and aggressive and it's undetectable form of stomach cancer. And what that means is this, it's hereditary. It means that this is something that is passed on from one generation to the next. This is the reason why my grandma died and my aunt died and why my dad died and why my sister died because it was passed on through these genes. It's rare meaning that it affects one in 500 people. It's undetectable, which means this, that it doesn't show up on any blood tests. PET scans, despite all of the advancements in modern medicine, they can't detect it. And the second that they do, it means that you're gonna die within a year because it's that aggressive. So the second it shows up, you only have about a year to live. And the only way for doctors to determine whether or not you have this cancer is they have to do the surgical removal of your entire stomach without you knowing whether or not you have cancer. So I remember that I, I went in to, for my surgery and all this stuff. I had clear PET scans. I had clear scans, body scans. No, nothing showed up on my blood work, right? I was completely clear. And I remember after they like took that stomach out of me and they like put it under a little microscope, which is kind of gross, but they chopped it up, right? And they put it under a microscope. But I remember my doctor giving me the pathology results and he said, man, you're really lucky because you had cancer everywhere. And if we had waited another year, we'd actually be planning your funeral. And as I thought about this, and I thought about all the things that my life has kind of been like, living without a stomach, at first it was okay. It was like trying to figure out how to do everything all over again. I remember if I took an eye drop of water, I couldn't even drink that because I would just choke on it. I remember the only thing that I could eat were like little, like little potato chips, like Lay's potato chips at a time. And that was the only thing I had to do. I had to relearn every single part about being human. Things that we take for granted. I remember for nine months, things were going good until all of a sudden, major complications. Again, I had so much pain that I couldn't stand. I was supposed to speak somewhere that night and I had to have somebody literally carry me off the floor and take me over to the hospital. And over the course of this month, I just experienced so many things. I had to be hospitalized four times. I had to have a second surgery. I had three bowel obstructions. I, had, um, I, got, I got a kidney stone in the process. And then finally on that last time, they told me, you've got gallstones too. And I remember that this was my moment. This was my mindset as I was laying there in the hospital, as they were telling my neighbor, you've got an inoperable mass, that I was prepared at any minute that there was gonna be a team of doctors who was gonna come and tell me, you know what, we didn't get it all. And I remember in this moment, I was so depressed. I remember roaming the hall at the cancer wing, Stanford University. <laughs> I was walking around two o'clock in the morning and that night on my floor, um, two people actually died that night. And I remember I sat back down on my bed and I thought, man, for those two people, they would have given anything to be in my spot. And so what I did, what I wouldn't, you do when you have nothing to do and it's like two or three in the morning is I pulled out my phone. I pulled out my phone and, um, and I, I actually ended up flipping to this picture um, that you're gonna see here. It's a picture of uh, Kate and I um, at Hume with our church. And I remember as I saw this picture that something clicked in me. I said, you know what? 
If I die tonight, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to be okay because I spent my life doing everything that God has called me to do. That it was worth it for my entire family to disown me because like all good Asian boys, you need to go be a doctor. <laughs> but I became a pastor, right? That was worth it for me to have all the anxiety about wondering, man, like how am I going to like, how am I going to pay the bills, any of that stuff, right? Like how am I going to do all this? But you know what? It was worth it for me to say yes because I could end my life saying that I did exactly what God called me to do. That I'd spent my life serving high school students, filling up water balloons, having everyone go through in like 30 seconds. That was worth it for me because I had nothing to fear. That I could face God and say, God, like, I did, I, I gave, and I spent my life well. You see what, you want to know what's, what's awesome about facing your own death? It's kind of weird, but stick with me. What's awesome about my own, facing my own death is what doesn't matter. I didn't think about my major. I didn't think about the car that I drove. I didn't think about how much money was in my account. All I cared about was looking back and saying, man, I'm glad I said yes. Man, I'm glad I laid my life down. Here's what I want you guys to walk away with tonight. Is I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every single one of you. And you don't have to wait till you're in college to serve. You can serve right here and right now. You can be like Chris. And I want to tell you tonight that you might not even believe in Jesus. But if you serve, you're participating in the gospel. If you stick around this group, you're participating in the gospel. And I'll tell you what, there is enough faith around here in this room for you. There is enough faith here in the people sitting in these chairs for your unfaith. That's not a word. But English is my second language, so it's okay. There's enough faith for you. And so with that, I want to pray for you so you guys can get to small groups. But I want to thank you guys so much um, for just letting me be a part of your community tonight. Um, But with that, let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much um, for this incredible church and this incredible youth group, for all of the leaders, God, who are laying down their life right now. And sometimes we wonder whether or not us being here on Wednesday night matters, God. And I just want each and every single leader here in this room to know, yes, they absolutely matter. And God, some of their proudest moments, maybe years and years and years from now, if they get a chance to look back and say, God, I'm so glad that I said yes to this because it meant that the gospel was being preached, that the gospel could change lives. For each and every single person that's here, and maybe, God, they were like me, and they, they hate you. They don't want nothing to do with you, God. I just give all of my compassion, all of my empathy to them, God, because I know exactly what that's like. God, I pray that they would experience grace and love here. God, that there is enough faith here in this room to carry them. God, that they would keep sticking around because it's worth it. And for every person here that's wondering if you have a plan and a purpose for their life, God, I pray that they would just start to serve. Because I really do believe, God, that when we start to serve, that we start to discover what that plan and that purpose is. And so, God, be in our conversations as we leave in the small groups tonight. God, thank you again for this group and this um, time that we spend just worshiping you and diving in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.